0: It's been a while since I was last on here, but it's good to be back. I want to read from John. I'm on, I'm on. I'm on, oh, I'm on okay, am I? You're hear me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. coming into the world there's three points i hope to be able to share with you this morning the first point is this how dark is the darkness we live in today second how did we get to be this dark and third where's the light switch how do we get it right Before i do that let's pray father i pray that we might do honour to your Son, the light of the world. We pray, Father God, that whatever is shared this morning and has already been shared, might focus on this one thing, that our Jesus, our Saviour, the light who shone into our lives, the light who made a difference in us. We pray, Father God, then bless the word this morning. Bless me as I speak, bless those who hear that we might hear what the Spirit has to say and not what Jim Hope has to say. So, Father God, hear and answer our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. How dark is the dark today? I put it to you, I'm I'm 64 years old, 65 this year. You're supposed to say, you're not. I am, Rob, honestly, I. I became a Christian when I was 17 from a non-Christian background. And I like to. Say, I have to say now, when I look around, because I'm always somebody that looks at society. You see, my bookshelf is full of all the latest books on what's going on in the world. I've read um, Jordan Peterson, Jonathan uh, Haidt, loads of people, all about what's going on in the world. Because I want to understand, I want to comprehend how we've got where we are now. And I put it to you this: this is the darkest place we have ever been in the history of this nation. And these are the grounds. These are not just like sentimental statements or just things I'm just making up out of my mind. It's this. You see, when I, when I, when I was young, all the problems of life were around us. Um, Jonathan Hates wrote this book called The Righteous Mind. And in this, he emphasizes this point, that humanity cannot make rational decisions. We like to think we're rational. But in this book called The Righteous Mind, he makes this point that's backed up by all the science. That what happens is once we've, a, once we've kind of a, got an opinion on something, then our rationality backs up the opinion. It never argues for any other alternative view. So what he calls this, Jonathan Haiti says, what binds us together, blinds us. The thing that makes us all one, the thing that brings us together, often will blind us. So you have people on the left wing, because they believe in left-wing things, everything they hear and see backs up their perspective. And people on the right wing, is the same with them. And with them, um, Brexit, and uh, remain and leave, whatever view you take, it seems your mind backs up what you've already decided to believe. So rather than being rational beings... And we come to our conclusions because we've gathered all the facts. We already have made our decision, and everything we do backs it up. And that's one of the problems with humanity. We can't escape that, but that's always been like that. But it's aggravated a bit more now by a few things. One is, when I was young, the overriding factor, and I was from a working-class background, the overriding factor within the working-class people was community. was community. We did everything together. We looked after our own. Everything left wing. I remember my dad, when Harold Wilson became prime minister, he cried because he thought the top conservatives would never, ever be in again. He thought now was the age of new age was dawning. He thought things would never go back to where they were. But look at the left wing party now. And the emphasis is gone. What, what used to be society, what used to be community, what used to be the emphasis is all about us. Our community is now me. And that's what they're teaching you. They're, they're teaching our kids. They're teaching everybody. Don't have any constraints. What do you feel you want to be? And that's the motive of anything. Look, Be what you want to be as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And that's, that's the kind of motive, that's, that's the motto that goes around. That's all of our thinking now, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. But that thinking is making our people now, youngsters and all sorts, wonder who they are. Because what they're told is, look, if inside of you you feel you're, this, this, you're inclined this particular way, well, just go with it. All of our life, all of society, every society that's become civilized, it's always been about controlling your passions, controlling them, not letting them control you. And now it's just give yourself over. Just do your own thing. They have a thing called relativism now. There isn't a truth. There isn't a single truth. Every truth is relative to you. What's true to you might be different to me. It might be a lie to me. So all these perspectives, all these views, just do what you want. For, for heaven's sake, let's just live in a society where we can do what we want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And that's what's driving our society today. On top of this, is another aggravism, ag- whatever the word is. There's this thing, technology. Aspect of my whole life in technology, computer technology. I've been involved at European conferences, international conferences and all sorts. But what we have today in our society is this technology so when you go on a search engine, when you go and check something, all the search engine is now zooming in on you. It knows what you like. So instead of giving you alternative opinions, it's backing up everything you already believe so you're never getting new perspectives which means you're never gonna hear an alternative voice. And of course, they're doing that on purpose because they only want to sell things to you. They couldn't care whether you're left-wing or right-wing, whether you're Brexit or remain, but all they wanna know is whatever you are, they'll give you more stuff that pleases you. So we're actually getting more and more polarized. The darkness we live in today has never been so dark. Every society, whatever the society, whatever their culture is, there is a kind of a light that that culture gives, that that culture has developed over the years. But now it's gone. not We're a multicultural society. Everything goes. There are no laws. There are no rules. Just do your own thing. And that's the way our thinking goes today. So I'm not going to point at people and say that that your perspective is wrong. It's the very root of the way we're thinking today that's wrong. It's the very idea that we can just make up our own. There are no absolutes. There isn't any truth. You can't make a decision, Boston is right or wrong. It's right for you. It's wrong for you. We'll just go with whatever's for you. That's the world we live in today. And the whole idea is we've got to be open like this. That's the darkness in our society today. So dark. How did we get here? You ever thought how we got here? Is that just society being in a mess? Is God up there looking down and thinking, oh my goodness, look what those human beings are doing now. Is God just looking down at us and saying, oh, Slaps his head and thinks, what a mess they've got. Do we look back and when we look at our land, when we look at our nation now, honestly, the darkness that's around us, there is no light anymore. There is no light. There's nobody pointing the way. There's not one voice. There's not one authority. Not one person leading and directing our young people, directing our people of every generation. There's nobody leading anymore. It's just, go, do your own thing. And in this darkness, suicide rates for young men have rocketed. Suicide rates for young women have rocketed. All this, just find your own way, you know. You'll find in yourself, you'll find the truth. Every record you look at, more and more mental disease. Every aspect of life is getting worse. It's getting darker. People's lives are in a mess. People's hearts are fainting them. They don't know what's going to go, what's going to go on, what's going to happen next. How do we get here? Oh, is it the enemy? Is it it Satan? Is it Lucifer? Is this going to be this great battle between God and Satan? Is it this great battle between the devil and the forces of good and Michael and Gabriel and the, the archangels? How we got here? You know, I read in Romans, if you read the beginning of Romans, it says this. I didn't come from a Christian background, so I didn't have any views put upon me. I had no Christian background at all. I just read the Bible, and I was took up what it said in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, it says this. It talks about the Roman generation, and it says, You refuse to believe in God. Even though the evidence is around you, you refuse to believe in God. You you just reject him totally. And God says this, therefore, I'm going to punish you. How does God punish us for denying him? He does this. He gives us over to our own evil desires, to our own nature. It's like God is saying this. God is saying this. He looks down and says, okay, you're doing your relativism. You're doing all this, you know, Whatever you think goes. Well, I'll give you over. I'm going to take my resistance away from that. I'm going to let you do these things. To what end is God doing that? Well, in, in, that, in Romans, it says it's part of, of God's punishment on us. But it's a punishment that has uh, an ulterior motive. And the punishment is this. He wants you to come to your senses. He wants the people of our world to come to the senses, to begin to understand we've made a mess when we give ourselves over to do what we want to do, we make a mess. When we try with our own ideas and our own minds to make a difference, we make a mess. We fail. It was the message at the heart of Jesus just talk to his disciples. You think you can do it, but without me, you can do nothing. That was, that was the words we were singing there. With Christ, we can do anything. Without him, we can do nothing. So we're living in a world today where I'm saying this. This is an astounding statement. I am saying God, not the devil, God, not the devil, has given us over. He hasn't caused us to do this. He has given us over to the world we live in today. Is that a dreadful punishment on us? In a sense, in one way, yes, it is. We're now living where there's no rules. Bought a baby if you want. Doesn't matter. Doesn't cost anything. It's just a piece of material. Other people's lives don't matter. It's all about you now. Of course, like, you know, they'll tell you, if if you're born a boy but you think you're a girl, well, be a girl. But then later on, if you want to be a boy, be a boy. And if you can't make your mind, be both. all at the same time. That is how ridiculous it's getting. I don't, I don't, like, I'm not angry with these people. Everybody is searching for understanding, for, for meaning, for the purpose of living. But all the voices we're getting, it's just darkness. Darkness all around us. And I look at the scriptures. Remember all the stories you've read in the Old Testament. God blesses Israel. It's his favorite nation. And then they do things wrong and he gives them over. He gives them over to another nation to conquer them. He gives them over for another people to come and rule over them. It's all part of God's judgment, but also part of God's mercy. He gives them over. When, people, when his people failed them, he give them over so that other nations would get them or all kinds of things would happen to them with the hope that things would change. We all, many of us Christians, know that scripture in 2 Chronicles where it talks about if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray he will answer he will come and heal the land but do you realize the chapter before that's the very prayer that Solomon makes Solomon took the initiative not God Solomon took the initiative Solomon so this is this is a glorious time for Israel the temple is being built at last now there was a place for God to dwell. And Solomon, the mighty wise king, is making a dedication over them. And you think this is going to be a great time. This is going to be like, wow, this will be the party of all parties for the Israelites. This was the moment when their God was going to come and, and, and live in the temple. But Solomon makes this prayer. He's making this dedication. God, God. When we let you down, and we will. When we sin against you, God, and we will. When we deny your ways, and we will. When we leave you, when we forget you, when we wander from you. And as a result of that, Lord, you take away our land, you take away our, our harvests. You take away our wine. You take away all these things. When you do all that, when you call other nations to come and rule over us, Solomon knew that was going to happen. This was the glory day. This was the big celebration time. We built the temple. But Solomon's wise and he knows the way of man. Lord, when we do that and when you take the rain from us, when you take the harvest from us, and when you take all these things and we allow other nations to come and rule over us, when you do that, Lord, if, if your people, Lord, will get on their knees and pray, will you heal the land? See, it's Solomon's initiative, that prayer. The prayer that we often quote is Solomon's initiative. He knew what we were like. He knew how we would fail him. So he says... He makes that great prayer. And that is why the next chapter, God takes him on his own and says to our will, Solomon, when I do take the rain from you, when I do take the harvest from you, because you've wandered away and I need you to wake up to the truth, when I do all that, if you, my people, will humble yourselves and say, we've got it wrong, Lord. Forgive us. I will heal your land. Do you know that promise? Can you grasp what the immensity of that promise is? Imagine it now. I'm talking to the situation here. We've just talked about the world is in the darkest place it's ever been. And I believe from scripture, God has got us here. God hasn't made us here. God does never start, does anything evil, but God has allowed us, given us over to our own evil ways. The way humanity is doing to humanity things that only we could have imagined. But what I'm want see, what I'm trying to point you to is this God. It's the God who has given us over. All through history, Satan only does what God allows him to do. My God is absolute control. Even like it talks about Job. Job uh, Satan was going around in heaven and he says to God, you know, about your servant Job, can I do something? He asked God permission to try to test Job out. God allowed Satan to work on Job, but for the benefit ultimately of Job and for God. So here it is, Britain. The darkest we have ever been. Hope has almost disappeared in many lives. I was just reading something, somebody committed suicide, a young person committed suicide the other day. It can only bring tears to my eyes. The darkness that's in this world. You know what about this darkness? Deborah's, one of Deborah's friends had posted a picture on Facebook. And it's of the Holy Holy Island. And then it shows you the sky. And the stars shining brightly over Holy Island. Because all the light pollution had gone. And all you could see were these stars shining brightly. And that's what the scripture tells us, you know, about this end time, or about now. That's what Pastor Nathan is preaching on. We're meant to be lights in this dark place. There's never been a darker place. There's never been a greater opportunity for you and me to be a light that makes a difference. How do we make a light? How, how do we make a difference is the light? You know, Jesus, as I read the passage in John chapter one, um, Jesus is the light. That's his very essence. It's his very being. And because he's the light, he gives life. And that life is, is, is the life of men. That's what my saviour brings. And now here he is. a God, I believe, who has allowed our nation to sink to this depth and allowed us to sink to such depths that we're doing things now we would never have imagined of doing 20, 30 years ago. God has put us over to this, but for what end? You see, there'll be two possible responses. Revival or the end of our civilization. I'm an historian in some sense when it comes to revival. You've heard of Whitfield and Wesley. Two Christian brothers who worked together. They actually split over some ridiculous doctrine and a difference. They allowed that to split them. But these two men, young men, worked together and changed the whole country of Britain. Revival broke out everywhere. Working class people, people who never crossed the church, were seeing light in the preaching of these two guys. And hundreds and thousands were coming to Christ. Meanwhile, in France, there was no such thing. The people in Britain were in despair, but Wesley and Whitfield came as lights, sharing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. In France, they had nobody. In England, we've seen a revival. In England, we've seen. It is for the second time in our history when revivalist touches the first time through the Reformation, the second time this time, our land was blessed. France saw a bloody revolution. France saw a mess. You see, God had given France over to see the extent of their own sinfulness. He'd given England over and Scotland and Ireland and Wales, but one of us repented. One of us embraced the light that was shining. So, first point, how dark we live in today. Second point, God made it like this so that we could shine like we have never shone before. Little acts of mercy, like praying for Christine's friend who's almost, you know, near death. Little things like this where we can show light. God's plan is that we're light. That was, that's the part of Nathan's sermon. That you've been chosen to be a light. I want to go further than that. I don't think it's an option. There's nothing in my Bible telling me it's an option. Oh, you're a Christian. Would you like to be a light? You are called to be a light. Read Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, it says this. This is Paul speaking. He's talking about the mercies of God and how great God has been. And he makes this. He says, with fear and trembling, you Christians, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. Because it's God who wants to work and will in you according to his will. And then he goes on just a few verses later and says, and what is this, working out your salvation? God has called you to be a light in a dark and jolly verse. You've been called to be a light. It's not an accident. It's not a plus in Christianity. You were called to be a light. You're called to be a light to make a difference. In Romans 12, Paul says, Offer yourself as living sacrifices to God, that you might prove what His good and pleasing will is for you. Jesus came as the light, He's called you to be a light. Jesus, and he's praying, John 17, prays to the Father. He says, Father, as you sent me, I send them. He's sending you to be a light today. The greatest revival this country, this city has ever seen, depends on you. Will you be a light? Because the scripture made it clear if you'll humble yourselves and pray, I will. There was no, I might heal your land. There wasn't any kind of conditions like that if you humble yourself. If you say, that's what I was born for. I was born to be a light because my Lord and Savior is the light of the world. I was born to imitate him. I was born to make a difference. I was born to, to, again, what Nathan's preaching, you know, we're meant to be a light that the people of Sunderland will glorify our Father in heaven. That was his plan. He looks on Sunderland now, our Father in heaven, and sees the mess in their lives. He's given them over to the sins, he's given them over to their own nature. And God's horrified at it in one sense, but his hope and desire is that the people will come to their senses, the people will realize what they've done. But the only way, you see, I could could argue with an evolutionist. I could argue with somebody who doesn't believe in creation. I could argue, and, and I might win score points, but I wouldn't make a difference. But if they see a bit of light in me, if they see a bit of light in me, me doing some sacrifice, me helping people, why are you helping them? Why are you doing a difference there? This might embarrass them. And Tuesday night, I come along to see the light. Tuesday night, I come here to see the light. It's in a few people, but it's in Rob and Sheila. I see the light. I look at them, and I think, you you, you talk to the people that's here, and they love them. There's nothing false about the love, the, the, the light that these two show. And I know people have talked to me and they've mentioned it and they've said it. And that's what we were all meant to be. That's what we were all called to be. The light. You know, I want us to be the light not just for this church but for the whole city. The light, the light shines when we do what God wants us to do. And that's true that's love. Jesus said this to his disciples. By this will all men know you are my disciples if you love one another. What a light that would be, Jesus is saying. In the world that we live in, segregated by our political views, our, all different types of views, all segregated and all becoming more and more remote, what if the light starts to shine in us from every background in every society? I am, quite a few years ago, I spent a lot of time praying with God. Because of my illness and all that, working at home, I spend a lot of time and I have a lot of discussions with him. And I'll briefly say this, but there was this conversation I had with him, a long conversation. It's almost like I was writing a novel. I'm talking with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking with God. And in this, it was all about revival. I felt like the first stage was I was dead excited because Jesus was excited. And I was asking the Holy Spirit, why is Jesus excited? Tell me why Jesus is excited. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, Jesus is excited because the Father says, now's the time for Sunderland. Not Newcastle, not Hartlepool. God might bless them in their time, but now was the time for Sunderland. And I was excited in my spirit. This was wonderful. This was the most glorious thing I'd ever heard. And then nothing for a while. And then I come back to the scene, and in this scene, it's now desolate. It's, it's desolate. Jesus isn't there anymore. I'm asking the Holy Spirit and I feel feel a heaviness on my soul. I'm asking the Holy Spirit, why? What's happened? I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, because the church wasn't ready. Church wasn't ready. And I was devastated. What, What wasn't ready? Why wasn't the church ready? You see, the way I I, I pictured this, it was almost like the Napoleonic Wars, where the the generals would be on the opposite side of the hills in their tents with all their map plans and all their battle plans. And Jesus had been there with his battle plan, and and, and, and I didn't picture his face or anything, but I knew I sensed he was smiling, he was happy because he was so excited. Now was the time for Sunderland. And then the tent was empty, the wind was blowing. There was nobody there, and I was distraught in my spirit. And then nothing for a while. And then, again, the third time I come in here, I see something on the table where the general had been. I see something there, something that, you know, I'm going we'll watch that. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit. I'm having a conversation with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's saying, that's what the plans. That was the plans for Sunderland. That was the plans for Sunderland. I'm saying, well, what were they? Can I have a look? And eventually, I'm, I'm allowed to go and have a look. And I was anticipating the plans would be—you know, God would move in this church, we'd move in that church. God would do something here, He would do something there, and, and you know, something wonderful. And somehow, it was all stopped. Maybe the enemy got in somehow. And then, when I saw, when I saw the plans, all, all before me was the city of Sunderland, and it's like, just like a, a map there, and this flames sprung up here and a flame sprung up there and another light sprung up there and all across the city lights were springing up and that was God's plan for revival. People of God becoming lights. The people of God, wherever they've been, being a light for him. And I asked God, "How, how, how did it stop? And the impression I was given was that the leaders at the time had done something. My first reaction was to hate leaders, but that was wrong. God told me clearly it was the leaders that would bring it about. But we have here a pastor who said, "I want you all to be light." We have here now something that is the exact opposite of what I'd seen in that vision. Oh, let me tell you, in this so this this Saturday night, I've got this last part of the message that. You know, God, the the, the church had been the the church leaders had stopped it. The very next day at the church that I was working at, seven, somebody came in from another church and they told me the story of how their leadership had kind of squashed them. It wanted wanted to control them. So that was strange. The very day after, somebody comes to my church and says that was happening in their church. And within two or three weeks, four occasions said like that. I was with Deborah in one place. And um, where this couple that we'd known from um, Denham Road, Elam, they came in and he was crying in the coffee shop. Crying in the coffee shop because the church leadership had taken away his ministry because he wouldn't conform to what they wanted to do. But here we have now a pastor who says, you're the light. I'm not the light. I'm not telling you. So uh, I'm, I'm, thank God. We're in a church that says, you're the light but I want you to go a bit further. You're called to be a light. Do you know what tells you in the scriptures as well, in in Ephesians chapter 2? God has predestined the good works for you to do. It's not an accident. It's not what happens now. He has predestined the works for you to do. He's looking down on Sunderland. And there's somebody just nearby where you live. And God says, I've got a plan." I'm going to ask my servant to give them a cup of coffee. Because nobody talks to them. Nobody does anything. I'm just going to ask my servant to give them a cup of coffee. And you give that cup of coffee and you become a light. You become a light that attracts people. I honestly, in my spirit, believe this. Jesus was talking about a time when he saw people forcing their way into the kingdom. There's different interpretations of what that means. But as I understand it, and I think it's it's the majority view. He's talking about sinners forcing their way into the kingdom because there was the Jewish leaders and they were trying to work their way into the kingdom. But here it was prostitutes, tax collectors, forcing their way into the kingdom because they saw the kingdom of God and it was glorious and they wanted part of it. Do you know what I see in the heart of God? God's plan for Sunderland. He's looking down now and he's seeing all across the city, he's people, I'm going to light him there. I'm going to take that lady. I'm going to shine through her. I'm going to do all these things through her. I think it's not possible? I'm not doing for time. I'm clearly in five minutes. I will close that. That's appropriate. Just trying to collect my thoughts. Now I'll just run off of them there. So we are we are here now today to make this difference. God has called us to the precise ministries He wants us to do. We have to offer ourselves to him. We need to understand and comprehend that he has everything planned. Now let me take you back. This is something I was meditating on. Let me take you back to Calvary. If you understand anything about black holes, black holes take in light, bring the light in and totally absorb it so that the light cannot escape. At Calvary was the greatest black hole the world had ever seen. The one who had come, who was the light of the world, was taken on that cross. And because my sin and your sin was upon him, darkness covered him. And there was no light in him. And it even tells us that the material, the physical world, became dark. The sun refused to shine. The sun refused to shine. It had wanted nothing to do. It could not look upon the Son of God, its creator. There was darkness. I don't understand that. I can only imagine with my, with my brain what Satan must have been doing. He must have been rubbing his hands. He thought there'd be a battle. He'd seen Jesus at, with John the Baptist. And apparently, they talk about millions had come to Christ through john the baptist and satan must have watched and wondered what on earth's going to happen this is the big battle and i I picture satan and all his foes waiting almost like d-day waiting for the forces of god to live waiting for the forces of god to come and invade and instead all the disciples left jesus alone they left him on his own And when Satan was looking out to see who was going to come, he found not the Lion of Judah. He found the Lamb. He found the Lamb. I could imagine Satan laughing. This is it. This is all you've got to offer God. The Lamb and as I imagine, I imagine Satan looking down and watching the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and seeing the most darkest event in the history of mankind. No event, they got close to the darkness of this event. Son of God, who was all pure light, was now, because of the darkness he took upon himself from me, was now suffering. And it must have looked as if darkness had won. Then something moral people haven't noticed, but I noticed. This thief on a cross next to my Saviour. One moment had been swinging abuse at Jesus. He, was, he deserved his punishment, apparently. And I can imagine him, the way that we talk about him, when the Romans were putting the nails into his hands, he'd spit in their face. He'd defy them, you Roman scum. I'll never bow down to you, you Roman mud. He'd have been full of abuse, full of, 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 of um, anger. And there he is, full of anger. And he's shouting at Jesus. You're the Christ! I'd imagine there would be swear words he flung at Jesus. You're the Christ. Look at the look, get yourself off the cross. And something changes. Then the most glorious thing in the world to me, when I think of it in terms of the spiritual reality, there was the greatest darkness the world had ever known. There was the vacuum was sucking in all the light, sucked in the light of God. What was going to happen? How would we escape? And there's a light shining right next to Jesus on the cross, and it's the thief. The thief has come to know Jesus, and he cries out, "Master!" This is the one who was hurling abuse at him. Now he suddenly sees him. Master, remember me when you get into your kingdom. You see, a lot of people would have missed that. Oh, just a thief on the cross. There was light shining there. You see, I picture there maybe some of that thief's friends had been there. Maybe some of his family, and they'd have been vicious. They'd have hated the Romans as well. They'd have wanted him. They'd be cheering for their guy. But then they hear their guy say, Master, Lord. And they would have been amazed. This is the guy we know. This is the guy we've lived with. Look at him now. He's bowing his knees to this man on the cross. And look, Look, his face, his, his visage is changing. Everything's changing about him. He once was full of abuse and anger, and now it's almost like he's at peace because the Lord has said to him, you know, his request was simple. Will you remember me? It was a simple request, but Jesus went way beyond that. Remember you? Today you'll be with me. Today you would be with me. And that made his face shine. That was the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ shining on the face of this sinner. And I imagine the guards who had put the nails into Jesus would also put the nails into these thieves. And when they put the nails into Jesus, Jesus just gave himself up as a lamb. But these thieves would have shouted at him and, and swore at them and spat at them. And now the same maybe guys who it says in the scriptures They looked at Jesus and thought, he must be the Lamb of God. Or that he must be of God. Maybe that same thief was looking. Look at that guy who was hurling abuse at me. Who was hurling abuse at Jesus. Now look at him. He's bowing down to this man. See, that's the light. How long did that guy have to show the light to Jesus? He was dying on a cross next to him. He didn't have a long life to lead. He didn't have much, but I see him shining. There was the incredible darkness. Satan would have been watching it all and thought he'd had a great victory. All that light of the world, the light of glory, all had been encapsulated and captured on this cross. And Satan must have thought he'd won. And then he must have screamed the moment he saw the light come out of that thief. The moment he saw, his soul changed. And then we hear people were raised from the dead, right there and then. Out of the graves, they rose at the death of Jesus Christ. The light had come. Brothers and sisters, the pastor here is challenging us to be lights. Let me go one step further. You were called to be. That's your purpose for being here. When you're praying, your will be done, your kingdom come, you're praying for the light to come. You're praying for the light to shine. You're praying for the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to shine. And it can change lives. I've watched Leslie over the years. I see the change in it. It's light shining. It's God's light shining in it. You know, we need to tell each other, you're making a difference. You are. The light shining in you. But that's what you're called. So I will leave with this, 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 this one thought. This darkness that England, the United Kingdom is living in has been allowed by God. There's two outcomes. There's two outcomes. Possible. We'll humble ourselves and pray. And we'll become lights. we say, here I am, Lord. Is there somebody, you know... If you and I, it said with all honesty and sincerity to God, Father, here I am. If I can bring light to somebody, do it. There may be a couple of those suicides that have been committed in the last couple of weeks would never have happened. God would be able to take you. God would be able to take you to be the light for them. My God created the universe. He holds all things together in his hands. I'm amazed at the science, the physics of it all. But it does not compare with the plans that God has got for our city. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Heavenly Father has said, from my understanding, Jesus, I've heard the cries of the people of Sunderland, now go and bring revival. And the next step was up to us, please be totally encouraged We can make a difference. We've been called to make a difference. We've been called to be lights. And there's never been a better time to be a light because the darkness is immense. The darkness is immense. Let us bow to God. Thanks, Adam.